Encore episode, The War on Financial Toxicity in North Carolina, as a case study everybody should be keeping their eye on. Today, I speak with Dale Falwell. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. So let's talk about North Carolina. What a weird outlier of the direction of other states getting active on their healthcare spend. I'm talking about Texas, Indiana, Wisconsin. I'm naming so-called red states because the legislature in North Carolina is a Republican majority. Gotta say, normally I'm down for a little weird. I find it mostly charming. But with the information I have at present about what's going on in North Carolina, I don't love this for you. And when I say you, I pretty much mean any family who happens to live in North Carolina or any businesses in North Carolina trying to afford their employee health benefits right now. This whole shebang, and the reason I'm covering this on Relentless Health Value, is that it is also extremely relevant to anybody else in this country as a case study or a cautionary tale, depending on your point of view. So look, there's two pieces of legislation running through North Carolina Senate and House right now. Links are in the show notes. But both of these pieces of legislation, one that Blue Cross Blue Shield, BCBS, is angling for, and the other one that UNC, a big hospital chain in North Carolina, is all hachi-machi to get past, both of these have precedents. Both of these things were done elsewhere, and the results were not great, to put it mildly. BCBS wants to be able to open up a holding company that is able to take BCBS policyholder payments and invest them in for-profit ventures, BCBS being a nonprofit and all. Here's a quote Chris Deacon mentioned on LinkedIn from an article on this topic. There's a link in the show notes, but she quoted a 2019 examination of the aftermath of 11 conversions of BCBS affiliates showed that fully insured premiums increased roughly 13%, suggesting a post-conversion exercise of market power. Significantly, rivals of these large converting insurers also raised their prices following the conversion. Link also in the show notes to a health solutions podcast with Christy Gupton, Chris Deacon, and North Carolina Commissioner Mike Causey. So that's one of the pieces of legislation on the docket. Then on the hospital side of the equation, we also have a proposed bill that could give UNC Healthcare a green light to expand and buy more physician practices in hospitals without as much oversight. Again, link in the show notes. Proponents of the bill say that this will better enable UNC to take over struggling rural hospitals in danger of closing. Considering that UNC has already taken over rural hospitals in danger of closing, not exactly sure how or why basically removing federal and state antitrust scrutiny is helpful here. I went around looking for evidence that if you reduce antitrust scrutiny and enable more unfettered consolidation and expansion that population health outcomes improve. I could not find any. I did find lots of great talking points, but all of them seemed a little light on the evidence. There is, however, an insane amount of evidence at this point that shows unfettered hospital chain consolidation harms local communities from a financial standpoint without improving the quality or outcomes of patient populations. 
especially when hospital chains, in conjunction with third-party payers, are not willing to share their pricing, even with their largest customer. But I'm getting ahead of myself because this is exactly what I'm talking about in this 2019 interview with Dale Falwell, the state treasurer of North Carolina, and it is a doozy of a frustrating story just to cut to the chase. Look, you might be able to hear I definitely have an opinion formed on this topic, and I don't want to sway yours until you look into all of this yourself. There's a bunch of links in the show notes. But I loved what Jeff Leston wrote the other day. He wrote, the North Carolina legislature proves that they report to the healthcare industry in the state, not the people who actually elected them. Okay, teeing up the interview today, this whole thing started when the North Carolina State Employees Health Fund, SEHP, crafted a proposal to pay network hospitals based on a transparent pricing schedule. Considering that SEHP purchases benefits for 720,000 people in North Carolina at a cost to taxpayers of billions of dollars, this seems reasonable. When you're the fiduciary of thousands of dollars, let alone add six more zeros, it would seem to be non-negotiable to actually see the numbers and not write a check to a black box. Nonetheless, a few of North Carolina's largest hospital chains disagreed. They wanted to bill whatever they wanted to bill, shrouded in a cloak of secrecy. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but it appears that the CFOs and CEOs of these hospital chains don't believe that the treasurer of the state has a right to see what he's spending taxpayer money on. Today, as I mentioned earlier, I am speaking with North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell. This is a rebroadcast from an interview in 2019, but still, somewhat sadly, completely relevant. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Today, I am speaking with North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell. Treasurer, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thanks for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Speaking of the prices of health care, why don't we just get right into the thick of it here? What percentage of the North Carolina budget is health care? Our uh, total health care spend at the treasurer's office just for state health plan employees and retirees. So very clear about it. So we're not talking about Medicaid, for example, just the uh, employees that we have responsibility for. There's about 720,000 of those employees. And put this in context for your listeners, 720,000 is about the size of the domestic employment base of J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon combined. And the spend, which you asked me about, is over $3 billion for healthcare and pharmaceutical costs. Our state budget is about $24 billion. You could definitely call that non-trivial. And <laughs> the employees, these are firefighters, these are police, these are teachers. Yeah, I normally categorize them as teachers, troopers, and other hardworking state employees. So what's the story about how the situation emerged? Why now? Or when I say now, I mean in the last two, I'm going to assume, years, has this become a priority and imperative for your office? I mean, you know, North Carolina has offered health care for many years. Why is this now some kind of inflection point? Well, in medical terms, why has this become acute? We're in a, in a situation as keeper of the public purse. We have to live within our budget. And your listeners know that healthcare costs are going up somewhere between uh, 6 and 9%. Pharmaceutical costs are going up in the low double digits. Well, the funding that we receive for the state health plan by the governor is 4%. So 
if something is increasing by six to eight percent at least on average and your funding is only four percent that means eventually you will run out of money but i'd like to just personalize this for a moment because to put it in the context of not billions or hundreds of millions of dollars but an individual teacher we have beginning teachers beginning troopers across north carolina who have to work one week out of every four this year in order to get family coverage for health care. One week out of every four goes toward this expense. So in many instances, they're making a decision between mortgage and health care, food and health care. The why we're doing this, which is the basis of your question, is very simple. A, we have to live within our budget. B, that our family premiums are unaffordable, which is driving young, healthy people off the plan. Uh, C, North Carolina is sovereign as we are and as proud as we are of many things going on here, both our economic growth, our solvency, our AAA bond rating in the healthcare arena, according to Pew Research from statistics of a few years ago, our unfunded liability in, in North Carolina is right behind the state of Illinois on a per capita basis. So that's the why we're doing this. It has been said that this year, the premiums for a family are going to top $20,000, which is pretty much just like the family buying a decent new car every single year. This is exactly why people are talking about the stark difference between health insurance and health care, that there's so many people who are becoming functionally uninsured. They just can't afford either to get the insurance in the first place that they might have access to or use it if they can, given the sharp rise in deductibles. To kind of talk about the state health plan for a moment, uh, our family premiums are not 20000 but they're atrocious, as, as you've already mentioned. And when you just step back for a moment, this is not Honda Winston-Salem, where I used to work, or Forsyth Garbage Service, where I used to work. You know, it's not a small business. It's, this is the largest purchaser of health care in North Carolina. And as we get into our conversation about the Clear Pricing Project, I want your listeners to know that if they can do this to the largest customers in this state, which is us, imagine what they can do to them. And this is important also to point out, this is not about the doctors who worked many years and made many sacrifices, both personally and financially, to get through med school. This is not about nurses who did the same to get through nursing school. This is about the industry whose whole business model is based on secrecy and who exercises cartel-like activities in order to restrict competition and or raise prices on a product that people have to have. When you look at the enormous cash balances that many of these nonprofits have, all of these profits, all of these reserves, all these exorbitant salaries that are being paid to many of these individuals are on the backs of sick people. I think you're talking about the hospital, the health systems in North Carolina now. Okay, so let's go to the beginning. You are sitting at your desk and you're seeing this 6 to 9% medical cost increase and the low double-digit pharmacy increase year over year. You're seeing that at some juncture, the plan's going to run out of money because you can't have costs exceed revenues for too long without <laughs> that becoming an issue. So what'd you do? What's the, the moment that you kind of encountered the resistance that you obviously discovered? Well, what I did is what I've always done as I worked almost a decade ago on reforming the workers' comp system uh, with all kinds of, of stakeholders involved with what I did four years ago and trying to and successfully implementing the reforms of the unemployment system of North Carolina. And I took that recipe 
recipe and that model and I applied it to this. So, you know, number one thing is we've already focused on the why and now we're getting ready to focus on the how. The way that we approached this, Stacy, is very simple. We called together every stakeholder that we could possibly think of. I believe there was 42 people in the room. This is the hospital association, the medical society, the mental health specialist, the state employees association, and many, many others. And we asked them a basic question that your listeners are very familiar with. How much inefficiency do you think there is in the healthcare delivery system? Their minimum answer was 12 to 15 percent. Well, that's all we were really looking to save. So that's that's was gratifying news to me and our entire staff because we directed them just go out and find these inefficiencies, whether it's in regulation or cost containment. And I will promise you that we will operationalize every one of these at the state health plan. From that point, that's when the attacks started. And the attacks were toward the state health plan, toward myself. For basically a year, over a year, the attacks have not been on the problem, but have been on people. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to a- attack a problem. What we did from that point forward is that we tried to get input from the stakeholders. Uh, We received no constructive input from the stakeholders. Simultaneously, I sent a records request to the state hospital, otherwise known as UNC Healthcare, which is a multi, multi multi-billion dollar operation in North Carolina owned by the taxpayers of this state. And we asked them one simple question. We know how much money we sent you last year, which is about $300 million dollars. We're trying to figure out what we were supposed to send. And they sent back over 145 pages, a price list, and every single line was completely redacted. Yeah, so let me let me just interject there. You've got this gigantic health system in the state with locations all over the place. You spent $300 million. Like you are a significant, if not the largest customer of this particular hospital, which is probably a nonprofit, I recall. Yes, when it's to their advantage. Ah, um, we'll get to that. Then you said, okay, you know, I'm a customer. I'm paying the bill here. So send me what I'm paying for. And they sent you, and I did go on YouTube and look at it, Dale. It's almost funny if you've got a sick sense of humor. It's like this gigantic sheaf of pages. And on every single page, it has a gigantic black box. Like the entire thing is redacted. You're exactly right. We don't have a sick sense of humor. We have sick people. You know, people don't go to the hospital to book a cruise. I mean, they go to the hospital uh, because they're sick. The something I've always said is that if you're sick, you'll eventually be poor. And if you're poor, eventually you're going to be sick because you're working so hard just to stay, keep your head above water economically that your personal health care is not something that you really focus on. Well, let me ask you something, Treasurer. Do these hospitals not understand the plight? You know, like someone was on this podcast before who said something which I I viscerally was upset with. But then, you know, after thinking about it a little bit, I'm kind of like, he's right. It's like for healthcare, somehow or another, we've always found the money. So do these hospitals just think that you're kind of kind of bluffing and that the money's going to come from somewhere if they fight hard enough against this threat, in air quotes, that you're teeing up? Before I go into the negative, let me go into the, to the optimistic. My first response to you has always been my response. We have enough medical providers, medical needs, and we're spending enough billions of dollars. We'll be able to figure this out. We thought that we were figuring it out very successfully with the Clear Pricing Project by exalting primary care, by exalting mental health, and by doing something so that rural hospitals in North Carolina could stay profitable and independent. 
That's what we were doing. And in addition, not only that, we offer them nearly 100% profit reimbursement profit over Medicare reimbursement rates. What we're trying to do with the clear pricing project, it's so risky, your listeners will probably drive off the side of the road listening to this. We want to get rid of secret contracts. We want to push the power to the consumer. And we are 100% certain that by doing that, that we're going to be able to lower cost. A lot of healthcare is purchased by, in quotes, proxy buyers, like, for example, the North Carolina State Employees Health Plan. So it's not necessarily also merely on the consumer's shoulders. It's also the payers or purchasers, the ultimate purchasers who are buying those services. I'm sure as a treasurer, you are more than well equipped to understand what those prices are. Why did this person go in for an ingrown toenail on both big toes and they got charged two bills, two facility fees, two of everything for one visit at one time with one doctor? This is all things that people are experiencing. Everybody has their story. And if you go back to two individuals who I don't suspect care for each other very much, they're both saying the same thing. This is the president of the United States executive order. In order to make fully informed decisions about health care, patients must know the price and quality of a good or service in advance. Opaque pricing structures may benefit the powerful special interest groups, such as large hospital systems and insurance companies, but they generally leave patients and taxpayers worse off. Eight years ago, the greatest philanthropist of our lifetime, Bill Gates, said the single biggest threat to public education is... Now, I challenge you or your listeners to think about how you would finish that sentence. The single biggest threat to public education is, Bill Gates finished it this way, and I'm paraphrasing, how states account and fund for the unfunded pension and health care liabilities associated with public service workers. Eight years ago, the state auditor of North Carolina said that this plan is at risk for not only running out of money, but for overpaying claims because the plan auditors do not have access to the contracts and cannot verify that the state's receiving the proper contractual discount. I don't know of any of your listeners who would go to a grocery store where there's no prices on any product. You were asked to pay for it at checkout, and then five months later, you got an explanation of benefit that didn't explain the benefit of anything. This is what people are facing in healthcare, and that's why we're so proud of launching the Clear Pricing Project. We're not trying to be disruptive. We're trying to fix a problem. And the problem is we have a medical arms race going on in this state. And during that medical arms race, the price of these products continues to increase. And we're trying to take advantage of our largeness on behalf of the people that we have a loyalty and duty of care to, who are the state employees and retirees. Yeah, there was just a recent study that came out which showed that if you add up all of the bits and pieces, 48% of our taxes go to paying for healthcare. So I think that dovetails with the point that you were just making that, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily connect the dots and they're complaining that the street's not paved or the bridge isn't fixed or that the teachers are buying their own school supplies because there's no money because so much of it's going to healthcare. So with the Clear Pricing Project, one of the things that you have done is created, and you alluded to this before, but I'm going to use a term that some listeners might be familiar with, reference-based pricing. So you said, we're going to pay a percentage over Medicare. That's going to be the reference for these services, which is why it's so important to get the actual <laughs> prices paid, because you can't tell much if you, you can't see the unit prices for stuff. 
But you chose to go through the insurance plans, which I think took some people a bit by surprise because the other way to do reference-based pricing is you abandon the local insurer and you go and you directly contract with hospitals. Do you want to just talk a little bit about what the methodology was there and or if there's anything that you learned in hindsight that, you know, as you continue to fight this fight, Dale, because it's far from over, what you might be contemplating? Let me uh, differentiate what I think you've said. Number one is that we are self-insured. Yes, yes. Head slap. You're totally right. We do not have and never have had an insurance company. They are a third-party administrator. But to your point, all the contracts are between the third-party administrator and the providers. We have zero contracts up until the clear pricing project with any providers. Uh, Now, by working through our third-party administrator, we have over 25,000 providers of healthcare who have said yes. They don't want to operate in secrecy anymore. They're willing to tell people what things are going to cost. They don't want to be a part of secret contracts. For next year, we're proceeding with those uh, 25,000 providers. At the end of the day, because we have a network to run, we have people that we have a loyalty and duty of care to as far as accessible and affordable health care. We had to accept the secret contracts of almost all the hospitals that boycotted the state health plan. We're going to build on the 25,000 providers that said yes. We're going to start working with them more closely on bundles. We're going to start working with them more closely on alternative payment arrangements. But we're going to partner with those people that said yes. And for your listeners, I want them to know that some of these people that said yes are actually accepting a lower reimbursement than what they're currently getting under the old plan. But they want to be a part of the future. So that's our platform is reference-based pricing. And what do you hope is going to happen with those that shook their heads no and are sitting in a corner with their arms crossed? Obviously, they are attaining short-term gain. And I'm definitely going to circle around to the nonprofit aspect of some of these institutions. But are they thinking that if they can hold out as long as possible and reap the short-term rewards, that that is going to, obviously, it advantages them from a revenue perspective, at least in the short term. But is there going to be any repercussions for that? Well, what you're referring to is is consequences, and I, I want to differ with you for a moment uh, about the visual of they're just sitting back and, and crossing their arms. They're pointing their finger. They're spending millions of dollars to attack so that they can keep their secret contracts and raise health care costs the way they want to. They're admitting to painting sidewalks all over Raleigh with actual paint and messages on private property as well as government property. So, you know, anytime that you poke at a group like this that's using cartel-like activities, then you should expect they're not going to sit back and just cross their arms. I don't know what they're thinking. What I do know is that it doesn't matter what I say about this or anyone else. There's no turning back. People are no longer going to tolerate in this day and time. I'm telling you that consumers are no longer going to have 20% of their income going towards something they don't understand. Now, I have seen in a statistic that these hospitals have also said that the state health plan is 4% of their business. If it's 4% of their business, why the immense effort to undermine this whole initiative? That's a mystery to us also. And some of these leading uh, executive officers of these groups have said that even though we're 4% of their business, we're 40% of their profit. When I'm 4% of your revenues and by cutting 10 or 12% out of the cost, it's going to cut your profit 40%. That should tell you and your listeners everything you need to know about 
how much cross-subsidization is going on, not just with the state health plan, but everybody else in general. It's also, you know, there's co-pays involved, there's co-insurance, there's deductibles. Well, one goal of the clear pricing, A, was to live within our budget. B, we were estimated in the beginning to save $250 million for the plan, which would make it more solvent for longer, but also $50 million in savings just to the employee themselves in the form of copay and deductibles. That's what we were trying to achieve. And this organization had a real opportunity to lead the nation. You think about the economic gold rush that would have been associated with being known as the state with transparent health care. And anytime you have an economic gold rush, that means you have more people who are working, who are insured, so that when they get sick, they can pay their bill. That's the tragedy of all this. Are the institutions that are fighting this so fiercely, are these rural hospitals in which they might actually have a point? This is an existential threat or not? Our goal with the Clear Pricing Project was to, instead of just talking about it, actually doing something about exalting rural hospitals. We want rural hospitals to be able to remain independent and profitable so that there's accessibility to health care in those communities. We don't want any health care provider, whether it's a large doctor practice or a rural hospital, to have to run into the arms of one of these monopolies. And the only people in the state who have closed down rural hospitals are the very people who are against the Clear Pricing Project. I've never closed down a rural hospital, and I've never suggested that one be closed down. The fact is that that this problem has been persisting for at least 15 years in North Carolina. It was exacerbated by the recession of 08 and the depopulating of areas of our state. But we're trying to make sure that rural hospitals remain independent. We're also some hospitals that are in those types of communities who stood, and I want to say this very slowly and clearly, Stacey, who stood to make millions more in profit using the Clear Pricing Project. And they chose not to do that for themselves or their community, and they chose to stick with the cartel. So when you offer a rural hospital millions more in reimbursements and they don't accept it, that should tell you what's really going on here. And the fact that this industry, they've worked long and hard to build up this aura of secrecy and that they want to continue to have secret contracts and higher prices. And when you say millions more in reimbursements, is that because... When we started Clear Pricing, Stacy, and I just said this earlier, when we started this, we didn't know what we were paying anyone. And what we found is that our reimbursement rates range from 80 to 800%. 80 to 800% of Medicare. 80 to 800%. So in, this, in some of these instances where I'm talking about making millions of dollars, it's where these people were underpaid, underpaid relative to what, what we were offering. So they were in a position to accept more money and get rid of secret contracts. And that was because the larger health system started gobbling up these smaller rural-esque type institutions. You know, once that consolidation occurred, then as a block they said no. Correct. Even the ones that stood to make more money. Well, I guess if they're all part of one entity, then if they're making 800% elsewhere, it would be, you know, from a balance sheet perspective, they can rake it in and then subsidize because 
Well, well, let me let me clarify. I mean, obviously, an eighty could be an outlier, and eight hundred could be an outlier. We're probably talking in the two to three hundred fifty percent of Medicare reimbursement range. But at, at the end of the day, during all these negotiations, it became very clear that there was no reimbursement rate, no reimbursement rate as a percentage of Medicare that they would accept because they were unwilling to get rid of the secret contracts. There's some other states that are embarking down this path. What advice do you have for any other states who are, you know, at a similar break point, really? Advice that I took myself and probably at the end of the day could have been done a little bit better job of executing. And that is don't do things and then try to explain them, try to explain why we were doing this in so many different ways. But the fact is, uh, the governor was not in favor of what we're doing. Virtually no support from the attorney general. We have state employees who work for these two branches of government. It's important to, to figure out how all this works, but it doesn't matter who you align. At the end of the day, let's just take the pharmaceutical industry, which we haven't even talked about and we haven't delved into over here. There's more money being spent on lobbying this year by the pharmaceutical industry than the alcohol industry, the tobacco industry, and the gun industry combined. That gives you an idea of the power of these organizations to continue to have an industry that operates in secrecy. Doctors and nurses, you mentioned them earlier. And, you know, once again, there was just something that came out, and I forget in which journal, that said that doctors and nurses, the actual providers of the care make cents on the dollar compared to the amount that the institution, a larger institution is bringing in. If you're a doctor or nurse in North Carolina or really anywhere, what's your message to these individuals who are working hard on the front lines and burning out and just trying to do right by patients? They are sort of trapped like we are in many instances. And that's why we're seeing huge, major medical practices across North Carolina who are leaving these large hospital systems. They realize that they're being used only for their client list. They realize that they're only being used as a way of getting leads and having things referred into higher profitable entities. They realize that if they were to direct someone toward an MRI that is of higher quality and lower cost, they could be punished for that financially at the end of the year by these large organizations. So they're starting to see this. And now that we have groups like Trine Medical in Charlotte, North Carolina, that just split off from one of the biggest conglomerates in the United States, over 150,000 lives in those doctor practices. We have another one that was just announced that was split off. We have ECU Physicians, which is in the eastern part of the state, East Carolina University Physicians, who's part of the Clear Pricing Project. So we're moving forward and we're speeding up as far as getting rid of secret contracts, putting the control into the hands of the consumer and lowering cost. Treasurer, is there anything I neglected to ask you, which you think is important to fill us in on? I just remind your listeners to think about the movie Monuments Men that came out many years ago, had some great actors in it. It was a true story about maybe some mid-40-year-old gentlemen, could have been women, but in this particular case, it was gentlemen who were deputized in World War II to get between the Allied forces that were going in one direction and the German forces who were retreating in the opposite direction. And uh, the order had been given by Hitler to destroy all the great works of art, not to give anything away. But there was a scene where one of the monuments men got killed and George Clooney was trying to rally them up around a campfire and basically said, listen, there'll be a, a time where there'll be thousands, tens of thousands, 
maybe even millions of tourists and school kids and grandparents and travelers and art lovers from around the world who are going to go and witness in the great museums of the world all the things that we're preserving. And they're not going to know who did it. And that's not why we're here. And that's not why we're here at the State Health Plan. Lowering family premiums, getting rid of secret contracts, giving the power to the consumer. No one's ever really going to know who did it. And that's not why we're here. We're here because with many of these public servants, especially those that are first responders, the last thing that I want them thinking about when they leave the house every day is how safe and secure my pension plan is or my health care plan. That's why we're here and that's why we do it. Where can people go if they'd like to learn more about your continuing work in North Carolina, Treasurer? Well, they can go to nctreasurer.com and find out more about all this. North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you. Hey, could I ask you to do me a favor? If you are part of the relentless tribe working hard to transform healthcare in this country, I don't need to tell you that we need as many on our side as we can get. The most vital thing that you could do to help expand the reach of this show is to leave a rating or a review on iTunes or Spotify and or share this show with colleagues or decision makers. Personally, I cannot appreciate it more when I see the reviews and they really count towards our search rankings. Thanks so much for listening.